But then you just realize he's kind of dumb because he actually really does care about uh, Chris Pratt. Don't we all? But um, the... Not the internet, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I finally watched... Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched The Lookout. So, I was actually having a conversation with uh, Garrett, who we've had on the pod a couple times, about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because I just brought up this movie. And um, it was like, both him and I like kind of got into Joseph Gordon-Levitt like through this and Brick. Um, and I don't think... I saw this in theaters, but I'm not exactly sure. I definitely like, I think had it on my radar as something I wanted to watch. And so I like, I bought a copy of the DVD back when you did such things. Um, and then we were also just talking about like his career. Like he had this huge run where he like just got to open movies like this. You know what I mean? And he worked with Ryan Johnson who I guess Ryan Johnson's like too big for him anymore. But like this run from, Oh five with brick through like twelve. Like <laughs> I think we decided that the uh, the the point that like killed this run was Don John, where he basically made himself <laughs> this guy that got to fuck Scarlet like slutty Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> it was like is that what that killed, was, is that what that was for him? That was a bridge too far. After if you look at if you look at what he made before, and it's not like he's made bad stuff since then, but I don't think he's had like the same like leading man career that he had before that but he's done like a ton of good stuff since but just like that was sort of like when he didn't get to do just his own thing anymore because like after that he made the walk in 2015 where i guess he was the lead and that was really i think that was supposed to be good i saw the documentary but then like snowden um trial of the chicago seven and then just you know some other random stuff here and there so but he just it is 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 kind of funny how he had this just run where he was just making these movies as like the star and kind of like, you know, he, he was really great in all of these too. Yeah. I know uh, that Taylor and I were talking about that from like 2009 to 2012. Like those three years was probably his, his biggest years. Um, And like you said, he never really like fully fell off, but he definitely wasn't having, um, as many good roles as he previously have has had. And I, you know, I think I've first was introduced to him with 500 days of summer. Uh, but then I think 50, 50 was mm-hmm. another one that I went to go see in theaters um, with him. And uh, obviously the dark Knight rises, I think, uh, and looper and, yeah, Don it's, John pretty much. I didn't go. I didn't bother seeing it. I just hated. I I, I heard the premise and I was like, I hate that. I'm not going to go see that. It was okay. I oh, I was someone who went. Okay. I saw all of his movies back then. So I saw right before that, Premium Rush, which was like the fixed gear bicycle delivery oh, boy yeah, movie. Yeah. Ten things uh, I hate about you was also really good. Yeah, that was before, and he was like part of more of a, that was more a of kid. an ensemble. Yeah. And then Inception. Uh, I think Inception is the thing that really like bl- rocket launched his career. 
But that was 2010. He had yeah, already but done I, 500 days. You think, okay, so you think he got Inception because of 500 days? That might be true. But then I don't Looper, know. Just, I, I, don't know. I think just this period, he was freaking kind of doing really, really well. Um, but back to this movie, I think watching it this time, I may have like, it's always funny because I brought this up with um, another movie we did recently. When I'm being like super critical and trying to like take notes and figure out like different aspects of the movie, I was like, there are certain parts of this that I actually find kind of like not great. Sure. Still overall, I thought this was a really, still a really great movie. Um, I just, I think it's like very inventive the way it's directed, the way the story is told, the fact that you have these two main characters who, well, one's a main character and then the secondary character, Jeff Daniels, just like having these limitations that sort of create the way the story has to go. Um, I just, I think it's like a really inventive way to tell this story. Uh, and I just, uh, I just liked it. So what did you think for your first watch? I really liked it. I, one thing I liked a lot about it is that I, I didn't quite know where it was going. Um, I knew very little about this movie. I thought, I didn't realize that there was a cause to his, his brain injury. I thought he was born with it, like sort of like a, on the spectrum character. So I kind of like this. Um, I like the guilt that came with it and his trying to kind of overcome. Like he, he was at fault obviously, but he paid the price too. Um, obviously not as much as the people who died, but he had to like live with this thing that he's done and this injury that he's done upon himself. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, and then his dynamic with the Jeff Daniels character, um, I thought that was really interesting too. And if you look at the poster kind of makes it look like Jeff Daniels was in on the heist too. So I was like, Oh, I was waiting for that moment to come up and I was like, Oh no, I read that wrong. He's just, he's just like his, his buddy. Um, so yeah. Uh, the, the actor who plays Gary, uh, what's his name? Um, Matthew good, Matthew good. Um, you've never seen the movie Stoker, but I first watched Matthew good in Stoker and he tends to always play like that pretty boy. That is bad. He's a bad dude in the movie. And so as soon as he walks up to the bar, I was like, Hmm, okay. That. And I love like how blatant it is for me watching the movie. Like, Oh, he's manipulating him from the beginning. And I thought uh, Isla Fisher was also manipulating him from the beginning, but it's just was really sad to watch like him being completely unaware that that was happening to him. Um, So just everyone's dynamic, just everyone, how they like acted off of each other was really good and interesting throughout the whole film. Yeah. So, I mean, this came out before, or did this come out before the Watchmen? I can't even remember. Um, it has to because he was so much younger in this, right? Well, in the Watchmen, yeah, another thing about it, Watchmen was probably 09, maybe 10, I think 09. But anyway, so I saw this before that, but the first time I really like 
kind of honed in on like who's that guy was when Matthew Good played Ozymandias. Um, mm, right. And then you just see him in this, and it's just like such a different character. I also, <laughs> I never saw this movie, but I always like joked about this with one of my friends because he gave this interview after the movie Leap Year. It was just like, yeah, it was a shit movie. I know it was a shit movie, but you know, I mean, I got paid for it, and like, it, it's fine. Like, it just you know, sometimes they're good. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I realized it's funny, like the actors that, you know, when they realize like as they're doing it, and sometimes I realize as they're doing it that it's horrible and then it's like comes out and it's great. Um, I think we should get into this one. And and one thing I really like, unlike the start of this podcast, is the movie just like gets into it very quickly. I <laughs> I appreciate that they didn't spend too much on his before life. Um, it just basically starts with the accident. Uh, you know, a couple minutes before the accident starts and he turns off his lights going down this road, which is like super stupid. But and what honestly, was that like, like fireflies, fireflies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> just like the, uh, that what's the 10 million fireflies song. Oh, What's by uh, Al, Al City. Right? Al City. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's just, yeah. just trying to live it. Um, and then just the one in a one in a thousand chance, whatever. There's a tractor, and he just one in a thousand. Every every thousand miles, there's just a a stalled. Uh, what what do you call it? A, a combine. Um, just well, out in the middle he, of the road. He was 18, so he started driving when he was 16. So you know, you know, about a thousand days. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and then it just goes immediately to four days, four years later. And this is what I was talking about, where it starts with his daily routine and how he has to, you know talk about it and it, you know the class that he goes to and that's one thing that i really liked about this is the framing of the whole yeah. movie is based in this like it's based in this um well first it's based in this like step-by-step thing but then very quickly evolves into what jeff daniels says it's like it's like telling a story but start backwards and that's when you get the whole like motif of the movie is like for him to be able to accomplish what he needs to accomplish due to his head injury, he has to start a story, but backwards. And I think that's just brilliant. Like it's just great in, in this movie. Yeah. And one thing I will say, so this isn't like an hour and 40 minute movie. This could have been like an hour and 25 minute movie. Cause they spend we, so we long want to cut off to 20 minutes. Oh, I'll tell you <laughs> as we go, I'll tell, I'll point some stuff out. Um, they just establish so much as limitations, right? Um, so they, they start with the daily routine thing. And one thing, one of my favorite lines, and I think this just applies to me too, is I don't read the paper. It confuses me, which makes me mad. <laughs> it's like, you really I don't read the that? news. Yeah. And then like him locking his key in his car and he has to get the spare. And then he goes to the ice rink to one, watch people ice skate, which he can't do anymore. And then to see his ex-girlfriend, which... A little stalkerish, but you know, I mean, he's got a head injury; can't really fault him. It's a, it's also a, a guilt thing again because actually, yeah. I was very surprised to find out that she was even alive. Um, I thought the twist because we knew that two people were dead. I thought the twist was going to be that like the guy died and his girlfriend died, but like the girl friend of the guy lived or something like that. But it ended up. It's weird too. Like it looks like they had a head-on collision, but the two people up front lived. You know. Yeah, well, she might have been wearing a seatbelt and like hit the thing. They they were both sitting on the top of the car, like, yeah. So they they were not in a good position. So next, he goes to his caseworker Janet, who's played by Carla Gugino, 
and like i love the what the, the it's just more establishing right that i was saying it's kind of repetitive but like he co- gets there and she's like oh what do you want to order and the waitress walks up and he's like uh i'll have what she's having because he can't make decisions right and then right. he tries to hit on her and he just does this the, the funny thing is like he not it's not Tourette's, but he has this thing where he just kind of says the thoughts in his head and it's like the what what men want type thing right but you know sure. i think about fucking you all the time she, like she's like i think people in the kitchen might not have heard you um you know what i mean and so it's just like it just keeps establishing it. and one thing i i think uh i'm not sure if you noticed this but there's the car that drives by him as he gets home the first night to his apartment right. where he lives with lewis there's a car that drives by him i'm fairly confident that's the bad guys um well before we get to that i was just surprised that we didn't have another scene with carla Gugino because um uh there seemed to be a lot that was established and what i would have liked to seen is like once he I don't know, figured his shit out at the end. He had like another scene with her and he was like a lot better or something, but it just was like a one and done sort of scene. It was just to establish how, how, you know, messed up his brain is basically. And then we're ready to move on. I feel like she had to have other scenes that ended up getting cut. It's like yeah, the only you feel, explanation. You feel that like, she shot stuff, but it just never made it to the final cut. It's, it's just way too small of a part. Like it's, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, so then we get the scene where he like can't make dinner and he can't find the can opener. He just freaks out and throws shit everywhere. And Jeff Daniels comes up and just like, as a blind man finds the can opener immediately. I guess he was looking for the hand one. And it's just like the big, uh, it's the big, like uh, mechanical one, the, electronic yeah, one, I think so. he, he picks up like what like a garlic peeler and yeah, yeah. it for the can opener am yep um and then this is where we get the uh you're talking about jeff daniels is like oh you got to tell the story at the end you know start with goldilocks and he's like i don't want to fucking tell goldilocks and he's like you need to do goldilocks like tell and i think it's i was telling you i think earlier this is where I don't know. Maybe I was talking about Garrett with this too, but this is where I realized like Jeff Daniels is like an amazing, like dramatic actor. No, it was me. Um, yeah, this is because uh, I said, I, I said the same thing. I said, Oh, this is where you really realize that Jeff Daniels is an amazing actor and Joseph Gordon Levitt and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, you are now experiencing the thing that I experienced 15 years ago when you first watched the movie. That's true. That's true. I remember that now. I had multiple conversations about how awesome Jeff Daniels is, particularly in The Martian, which we already talked about. Yes. Um, yes. And then uh, we get to the bank thing. And I didn't realize this, I guess, before, but he drives to this bank that's like an hour, 90 minutes away from where he lives in Kansas City every night to go do this job. Well, one thing that I found completely inconsistent within the movie is that he has this brain injury that doesn't allow him to remember everything or get his like facts confused or stuff like that. Yet he can perfectly parallel park. And I know people who don't have brain injuries who cannot parallel park. And I just it just took me out of the movie right right there. Let me tell you. Are you you're like a. You're a neuroscientist. Do you understand that? 
I mean, okay, so he, he, uh, so what, his brain injury made him deficient in, like, having normal conversations and the order of things and forgetting things and losing things, but it somehow, like, made him a perfect parallel parker? Or maybe he could parallel park before that, and it just didn't affect it. I guess. I just, I just found that part kind of funny. Didn't even notice it. I just, I, I'm more just flabbergasted that, that the hiccups that that created for you, but I didn't even notice it. Um, and then we get this part where he asks uh, the bank manager if he can be a teller, and the guy just completely blows him off and is like, you know what? There's a light. There's a light uh, in the back. You need to fix that. Um, and then we get like the flashback to his friend getting killed. And we get that the car is casing outside. And this is the first time where we get to hear that our character's name is Chris Pratt. Yeah, I was wondering like, when we were going to get to that elephant in the room. Yeah, the Star-Lord in the room. Um, Star-Lord in the room. What I find most amazing, because you and I talked about this, Chris Pratt was supposed to interview for this role. He scheduled an interview. Audition? Yeah, sorry, interview, audition, whatever. He scheduled an audition for this role, but then had like a family thing he wanted to do in Mexico. So he like canceled it and was hoping to reschedule it. And by the time he got back, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had the part. That's funny because I I, I don't think that he was as big of an actor as Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the yeah, time. But you know, yeah, but this movie, what's interesting is, so it was written by Scott Frank, right? And he originally had several other people that he was trying to get directed. Uh, Steven Spielberg once considered it, uh, Sam Mendes, and then David Fincher was attached to direct. Um, and then once Fincher left, uh, Scott Frank just decided to do it himself. And so at that point, this probably, I think this movie has to be fairly low budget, right? You right. Know, you have a lot, a lot of people doing some small roles. And so I think... I think you didn't necessarily need, I don't know. I mean, is Jeff Daniels the star of this? Could you do it, Jeff Daniels? And then like, I don't know. I just, did Did you need the star power of Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Because honestly, I don't even know that he had that much star power. The biggest thing he had done was Brick, which was like an indie success at that point, you know? So, I mean, he a, he's a big child star. You could, you could bring that into consideration. And then- A lot of Third Rock from the Sun fans. <laughs> Uh, or angels in the outfield, you know things like that. Um, Obviously, but but I don't know. I mean, maybe they weren't really looking for stars, and and they're around the same age, right? Chris Pratt and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So yeah, I mean, they would probably, if they were in the Hollywood circulation, go for the same if, role. If David Fincher directs this movie, first of all, we don't get the Curious Case of Benjamin Button which is like just a loss for society in general. Um, but two, like there's no way Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets the, the starring role, right? Like I don't see Fincher, you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, probably runs it back with Zodiac. We'll get Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> really? You think so? I was just going to ask you, who do you think Fincher mostly, mostly casts in his films? Well, I mean, I think Jake Gyllenhaal and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are on similar at similar ages, right? And then he cast him as a young guy in Zodiac 2007, the same year as this. Yeah, I guess that would have also affected Zodiac, which you just can't have. Mm, um, and maybe when know, he we... was attached, he could have been attached years earlier, so it probably wouldn't have affected anything. 
Um, yeah. So, so if Fincher did it, it would have been Jesse Eisenberg instead of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It would have been Brad Pitt instead of Matthew Good. Uh, it would have been um, uh, what's his name? The uh, the guy from uh, Morgan Fight Freeman. Club. No. <laughs> yeah, Morgan Freeman as <laughs> as Lewis? Jeff Daniels' character. Yeah. I want to. I want to keep Jeff Daniels in there. Um, so let's get back to it. So. I also well, real quick though, the the Fincher just like Fincher doing this movie is is very intriguing to me. Just like Fincher Fincherifying this movie is something that I would love to have seen. Um, so we get to the bar scene right before this. We saw where Gary uses his inhaler, which is yeah, someone uses an inhaler. That's going to be a big plot point. Like, have you ever? I don't think I, I mean it'd be hard to think of, but imagine a movie where someone just uses an inhaler and it just never comes up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you go to the prop guys and you're like, listen, this guy has to have an inhaler. You're like, oh, what is it for the what's it for? No, not no, just like an affectation. We don't really need it. It's not gonna play a part. We just need him to have an inhaler. I love how when we are introduced to Matthew Good and I think it's the first time that they meet at the bar, he pulls out his inhaler uh and he takes a puff at it. And he looks at Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who has a brain injury. And then he's like, yeah, we all have our our things. And he, like, <laughs> looks at his inhaler. Like, he's comparing asthma to a fucking frontal lobe brain injury. It's like, shut the f- I have asthma. I use an inhaler. No way would I ever compare it to be like, yeah, yeah, well, you think your brain injury is bad? It's hard for me to breathe sometimes. How many of your friends did your inhaler kill? <laughs> um, I like the uh, I like the bits where he tells the woman he's like I thought I was the only good looking person in this bar. And then Joseph Gordon Levitt writes it down, and then later on he's like, I thought I was good looking. <laughs> <laughs> the look that the woman gave him, I know that look. I've gotten that look before, and I don't even have a, <laughs> a brain uh, injury. But um... <laughs> you're just gonna stop. I don't even have a brain. Um but but yeah, uh that that was hard to watch. There there is another really cringe scene in there um in the movie somewhere. I think it was also when he was just uh oh his parents him going back home and like having Thanksgiving with his family was just oh my god. It it was except hard for Jeff me. Daniels, except Jeff Daniels was the best part of that Thanksgiving. <laughs> the way he he told his brother, he's like Oh, they're stairs. Well, now you're gonna have to carry me up them. And he's like, "Really?" And I forget the, you're... I forget his mom's name. Was it Mora? She's like, uh, I don't know. He goes to the mom. He's like, uh, "You know, did you? Oh, Barbara, Barbara, did you? Uh, did you? Did you cook this bird?" She's like, "No, no, I didn't." He's like, "Okay." And then he's like, "Ask her about another recipe." She's like, "Is my grandma's?" And he's just, "Oh, it's so fucking good." <laughs> just like eating with his mouth open, and then like bumps the like, girl who's like so disgusted by him. He asked her a question, right? He was like a, a riddle or a, a yeah, limerick yeah, it was or a something. Joke. Yeah, it was oh, like a, yeah, yeah, it was a joke. It, yeah, was, it was a um, play on words or a pun, as some people might call it. Yes, yes. Um, yes. So he kind of points out Isla Fisher when they're at the bar, too. Matthew Good does. And it's like, oh, look at her. Um, and it's like fairly obvious what he's trying to do with her in the beginning. Didn't you think, like, when you saw the Isla Fisher part of it, like, didn't you assume she was kind of put up to it or... 
I didn't think Isla, I didn't think at first the girls were put up to it. Not until I think she comes up to him at the house party and like kisses him or something, right? I was like, oh shit, right? But I just like how Matthew Good leaves him at the bar, goes to the table with like his buddies and like whispers something to one of them. And they all turn and like smile like a like all have a shit eating grin on their face, like staring at him. And I was just like, well, just make it super obvious. Why don't we? I'm just wondering how much did they know about his brain injury? Because they had been following him for weeks, it seems like. Like uh, the backstory on this criminal outfit is kind of interesting to me. Because it wasn't like, just the bank that they were targeting. It was like multiple banks at different times, right? Well, they were trying to figure out the bank to get. And then they, I think they realized based on deposits that Chris's bank was the one. And also it's like location and the fact that there was only like one deputy who, who was watching it. Um, the next thing is Thanksgiving, which we mostly covered. But I did love the chess scene at the end where, you know, his dad beats him. And his dad's like, all right, let's let's go again. He's like, ah, I don't really want to. And he's like, would you rather let me win? And he's just like, dad, I can't play chess with you anymore. Like, this isn't you're you're beating a five year old. <laughs> like, why are you why do you still want to do this? I also am really confused on an all black chessboard. Can you explain that to me? And also not just an all black ch- chessboard, not how confusing that is to an, a normal person, but but like thinking you're one upping your son who has a brain injury on an all black chessboard. I didn't notice it. I wasn't really. You didn't notice that chess. all the pieces were the were black. That I just I looked at that. I was like, surely they're going to mention it, and then they keep talking about it. I'm like, surely they're they're about to mention it, and then they just move on. And I'm like, surely at some point in the movie they're going to come back and mention it because it's such a weird prop to have, right? The things you've gotten hung up on on this movie are just, I don't even know Man, what to do with you. The devil is in the details. Just That's all I got to say. Uh, so after they leave the Jeff Daniels line, too. And it's funny, like, Jeff Daniels comes off as, like, very, like, wise and with sage advice. And then other times, like, very overprotective and maybe, like, overstepping his bounds. But he's like, I yeah. don't think you should go home anymore. Which is probably true. But also, like not your you place could, but you could tell like it's because when we get the backstory on how he became blind right he wasn't born blind he became blind he probably had to go through a lot of the same kind of stuff where it's like his family never got used to his handicap and uh people treated him differently and et cetera, et cetera. so he he probably knows the ins and outs of like the waves of the way people are going to treat you different Right. So he he's probably the best person to tell him like and also his family is just a bunch of shit people. That's what money will do to you, man. You know, it makes you pompous. So the next thing we get is just the cop that comes by and brings him the donut. And he's like, hey, you got to lock that back door. And then he points it. I love the way that they established this deputy donut because he's like, oh, well, you left your door open. He turns just like, ah, shit. Um, I just think that's a quick funny scene and probably the saddest part in the movie later on as soon as i saw him i was like he's gonna die like there's no there's no way of getting around it yeah it sucks especially because his wife was literally going into labor um but we'll talk more about he also he totally reminds me of um uh david arquette's character in scream 
like in between David Arquette's character oh, and the yeah. scary movie character. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he actually reminded me kind of like a Midwestern cop, like from Fargo, but like without the accent. Well, they're in Missouri, so. But or he no, doesn't Kansas, have like he doesn't have Kansas, the so it checks out. Yeah, well, fine. Also, I was thinking like he is there an issue with him because and I love live like he's not the greatest. Is he like, slow? <laughs> is he, well, not even like I understand you're halfway between the scary movie david arquette character and the actual david arquette character right but um his his whole thing about like you missed a spot i was just like is he just insensitive like because he's kind of dumb or is he insensitive because he's he's just kind of um uh like not caring or or you know what i'm saying like is he um just insensitive for the sake of being insensitive but then you just realize he's kind of dumb because he actually really does care about uh chris pratt don't we all but um the not the internet apparently (laughs) but um but yeah i think the 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 heartbreaking part is when he yells at him and you wonder if he yells at him because he's actually frustrated or he yells at him because he wants him to just like stay the fuck away it's i mean it's probably a little bit of a combo i think it's mostly for him to stay away because at that point he's like i'm a bank robber I'm going to help rob this bank. Um, we get back to uh, when he, you know, gets with uh, Lovely. Um, yeah. You know, they meet at the bar and then they go back to Gary's place. And um, she just goes into great detail about this hockey game that she saw with him. And I'm just like, it comes off as so fake. But I guess the point of this is to establish, like, how popular Chris Pratt was as this hockey player in high school. Because, like, she couldn't have found out those details any other way except she was there and she just remembered all of it um so it's just interesting but i was just like it seems so fake because she's clearly like with him on purpose um yeah and 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 the fact that like jeff daniels is like what's her name and he's like lovely and he's like well does she have a last name she's like he's like lemons and he's just like lovely lemons and he, she he's like yeah well that's her stage name and he doesn't see it right away that she like was a stripper and jeff daniels is just like sitting there like nah something's up like he's blind he doesn't even know how hot she is and he's just like nah something's up well it's it's a weird thing to like just accept that all you get to know is her stripper name it's a weird thing that if she, she seems like she's giving him the stripper name because she doesn't want to give her real name because eventually this is going to end in a bank robbery and she wants to get away clean. But just use a fake name that's not a stripper name, per, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Um, and then <laughs> she, she's talking to him and he's like, I want to see you naked. And um, this is a real hang up with you in the Casablanca episode, but I just want to make clear they had sex, right? when right then and there <laughs> no uh like the before she comes out uh to get the thing from the fridge and jeff daniel confronts her no they had oh, sex no, when... then too yes when they're at oh, the, when... No, they're I mean, at the I know, yeah, yeah i know that when because he comes he comes well, he comes right <laughs> but he comes back Maybe. home and jeff, jeff daniels says you dirty dog you got laid didn't you yeah i I know i know they had sex (laughs) his superpower he's like i smelled the sex on you i Uh, forgot he was blind 
So I was like, oh, he must have noticed he had like his clothing was disheveled or something. And then it occurred to me, I was like, wait, how the fuck did he know? And then he opens his notebook and she's like, I can't believe I fucked Chris Pat Pratt. Like she wrote it in there, which clearly like that too is like Isla Fisher's motivation in this is like, I think the movie is trying to say like she was forced into this and then she started to develop feelings for him. And that's why she had to get out. But like the thing like, oh, I, I can't believe I fussed, fucked Chris Pratt when she wrote that in there. That's either like, they have to know about his head injury, right? They have to know that he needs that notebook because they've been following him. So she wrote that so he'd like remember. You know how you said that I get hung up on like the little details of this movie? Mm-hmm. I feel like the fact that his name is Chris Pratt diminishes quite a bit of this movie. It's just real bad luck on their part, honestly. Oh, man. I It's just like every time you say it, I just imagine... Chris Pratt, the actor. And it's, let's give it's, you know what? Let's let's give him. Let's give him. We'll just for the rest of the podcast, we can switch it up. Let's give him a name that's like I got. We'll do Timothy Chalamet. Adrian Brody. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of a name that wasn't an actor at the time. So Adrian Brody acted in two thousand seven. Thought you um, were just gonna give out a name. We could just call him Chris and just kind of. But yeah, I mean, it her her motivation is does make it the film does make it feel like she's actually starting to fall for him especially when she kind of looks in the car and sees the gun that matthew good and and bones is loading up and uh and she like looks at him like a gun really like this is gonna end badly i you see her i i I think she doesn't know how deep she's in maybe at least that's what i get from that scene yeah. You know, this was filmed in Manitoba, Canada, and that's just kind of, I mean, obviously for money purposes, but, you know, that kind of stinks, you know what I mean? Well, it's not actually shot in Kansas? Yeah, no. Mm. Kansas doesn't provide the tax benefits needed, which you think they would, you know what I mean? Uh, so the next scene is the Thanksgiving party at Gary's house. Um, they tour the farm and then, like, just like, how'd you get this? And he's like, oh, Bone negotiated with the owner. And I was like, oh, so Bone killed that guy. And then the owner shows up. Shows up, yeah. And then Bone's just like, makes him disappear. Like, And that was never addressed. It's just weird. It's it's very weird. I want to talk about Bone. And now it's just as good a time as any to talk about sure. Bone. I want to talk about Bone, too. So Bone barely speaks in this movie. Um. And I think that is a practical reason that you just don't know how good this guy can do. Although his, his lines at the end, you know, they're they're fine. He has not done a whole <laughs> lot. Okay. He did The Lookout, where he played Bone. He did some shorts. He did one episode of Warehouse 13. He did... A TV movie in 2010. Uh, he played a homeless man on Rookie Blue. And then he was a janitor in the show Hannibal. And then he was. He played Higgins in Stage Fright, which I just imagine he was like, I don't know, killed in, or maybe he's the. I just, I've never seen that movie. It's just this guy, it's, it's just crazy. Like they, they brought in this guy just for his look, right? Like 
and I can't find yeah. anything on him. It's like this guy doesn't, you know, his IMDb is like, there's not even a picture of him on it. I just want to know what Greg Dunham looks like normally. Without the you know glasses? What I, mean? I like how he's turning in his suit for like a cool leather jacket. I'm talking about uh, Joseph Gordon. Chris, Chris Pratt. Yeah. Um, I like how he turns in his suit for a, for a leather jacket and then he's getting the gun ready and everything like that. And he looks at the glasses on his bedside table and I'm thinking he's going to put on the glasses to like complete the badass look, but it just, it's just there to remind him of bone who always wears glasses to write down. I have to kill bone first. <laughs> he writes kill bone and then he's right first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like he has to do that first, right? And so then oh man, it, it's just really smart how this story is establishes so much and then you get paid off you get the payoff for every single thing it establishes. And I know that sounds probably sounds like a very obvious thing, but because there is so much to fit in there, this there's so much payoff afterwards and it's just kind of a feel good sort of ending uh, because it, it feels like it hits every mark, even to the point in the very beginning where he says, I fall asleep randomly. And then you see that at the end. Um, and then he has his notebook that he writes down everything to help him um, remember. But then uh, Matthew good uh, Gary, it has his notebook. So he can't, do it and then everything with the shoelace ah it's great i like at the very end when gary's like did you actually forget because that was kind of a it's like i'm pretty sure he did actually forget and he just kind of remembers like the shoelace helped him but uh yeah that part was pretty pretty great so at the thanksgiving thing i think he probably sleeps with her again and then he wakes up after getting high and he comes downstairs and this is where he just sees all the plans and it seems like they're they're just like they wanted him to find out at this point that they were ready to tell him. And yeah. what I find what I find interesting is they're like, oh, we're yeah, we're we're only stealing from banks that take the money from big agro corps. And I was like, listen, every bank robbing movie I've seen, the justification is that it's insured and they're taking the bank's money and not your money. You know what I mean? That it'll and the bank's going to get paid off from, you know, the insurance and the it's, I think it's federally insured. So just like maybe lead with that, you know, like, oh, no one's actually going to lose their money. You know what I mean? But they don't they don't do that in this one. Um, and this is uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because this ends up it, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think if someone could see this part and be like, that's a little lame. Um, oh, I know what you're going to say. Because Gary's like, write this down. Whoever has the money has the power. And just like that being Gary's comeuppance that he told him to write that down is like, I enjoyed it. But I could also see someone being like, eh, that's a little too oh, cute. That, that's not what I thought you were going to say. What I thought you were going to mention is when he, he, he gets upset and he thinks he's being used, which he is. But then they talk him out of like, you're not being used. We actually like you as a friend. Wink, wink, hint, hint. No, we don't sort of thing. Right. right. And he, he's going to leave. But then he sees Isla, Isla Fisher up like at the top of the stairs beckoning him and he just like sleeps with her again and then just decides to leave the next morning. I thought you were going to mention that as being kind of 
like if you just watch that out of context it's like dumb of him to do that right to like he's about to leave but then he just okay you know what i mean though right it's well, just I think like he forgets around he... so fast but yeah but he also forgets stuff and then also Isla fisher wanted to have sex with him so he was like yeah i'm gonna do that uh this is when you find out that uh she is with gary right because he has sex with her he leaves the next day and then as he leaves isla fisher's in the window and then gary comes up behind her and sort of puts his arm around her yeah so i always took that to mean that that was like his girl and he was like kind of using her you know as part of this and like so when she leaves later in the f- her out yeah and so when he leaves when she leaves later she's not just leaving she's like leaving gary too, like getting away from gary i thought there was a scene before that where they kissed like i thought we knew that she was gary's girl before that arm wrap around scene. maybe i'm not sure I mean, he might have kissed her on the like as a greeting, though. Um, the 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 other thing too is so there's the part where you know in order to convince him, they're like, "Why don't you call your dad and ask for ten thousand dollars?" He's like, "Or just ask for one thousand um, dollars." And he goes to the bank with uh, with Lewis to get a loan for their sandwich shop. I love the yeah. bit where he's like, "Oh, we could name a sandwich after you. What's your first name, Reuben?" Okay, what's uh, what's your middle name? Um, and then afterwards, he's like, you know, I think that went well. Behind, besides that whole Reuben first name thing, yeah, and and the fact that his sandwich shop has the most unappealing name for a Lose restaurant ever, yeah, exactly. Well, and then they have, you know, he hits on the he hits on the waitress in front of him. He's like, oh, we're just two gimps out, and he's like, I'm not a gimp, you know. You basically calls him like fucking incel like he, no one wants the fuck you you blind guy and just like goes right. at him but then what <laughs> right. i want to talk about is right after this he calls his dad and he's like hey i need ten thousand dollars he's like why for that stupid restaurant all right just give me a thousand dollars like what for he's like oh. and i was like i didn't remember this but he actually comes up with a decent reason he's like i want to start a skate sharpening business at the thing um and then his dad's just like oh i think we should talk about this he's like so are you saying no he's like yeah i'm saying no it is completely reasonable to not agree to give your son ten thousand yeah. dollars or one thousand dollars at yeah. three a.m. on a phone. A hundred percent, especially one who who you know can be like easily manipulated into like like it, he he calls him at three in the morning, asks him for ten thousand dollars. It's like okay, my son's in debt with loan sharks. Like that's my first thought. Like you're in trouble. It's like are you in trouble? No, no. It's like his second his second like he comes to is like. You want it for that stupid restaurant? It's like, no, dude, he just probably is in trouble and he lied to you. Like, but yeah, everything is handled so poorly. Um, I agree with you. I was like, that is not how you ask your rich parents for $10,000. I don't know the right way to do it, but I just know that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah, that, ain't it. that ain't it, chief. So he immediately decides to start working with Gary after this. And we get a couple, a bunch of like quick scenes, but they're all kind of important. You know, he finds out that he's just going to be the lookout. He's not really going to have to do any dirty work. <laughs> the next night, he's taking pictures of the vault, and the deputy comes up, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I just want my parents to see where I work. And he's like, give me the camera. I'm sure your parents would love to have you in the photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, and I don't know if you know that trope, right? But, like, I saw that coming a million miles away. 
Well, you know it because it's like the movie's not going to end there, right? So it doesn't matter, you know what I mean? But it, it is, it's more like played for a laugh than anything. And I love the setup for this deputy and then the payoff, I think is so great in, uh, you know, in the last scene or second to last scene. Um, so they explain to him again, like, you're the lookout and just for the deputy because like he's the only thing we can't control because he's just so unpredictable. He comes at, you know, whenever. Um and then we get the last scene with with Lovely when she comes over. And I think it's like they have sex and then she walks out to go get a drink. And it's slightly ironic that she walks past Lewis, who is blind and like doesn't see him there. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It's a, it's dark. No lights are on. Why are you blind? I looked at the sun too long. Oh, wow. You hear about that, but it's just crazy. <laughs> think, okay, so you say that like she's actually stupid. But I'm thinking she's playing dumb at this point, right? Like she, oh, she's, yes. she's playing sure. the whole thing. She's playing dumb in front of him. I, my favorite part of that whole interaction is the right at the beginning where she's waving her hand in front of his face. And he's <laughs> like, I know you're not waving your hand in front of my, a blind guy's face right now. But I, I took her whole like believing that the sun is what blinded him thing as just playing dumb. And, you know, he's an asshole, but he just, like, happens to be right. And I almost feel like, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is listening in on this. And it's like, he kind of knows he's right, too. Because he's not, like, breaking in to, like, tell him to go fuck it, himself. It's interesting that you would you would see the, the point of view of Joseph Gordon-Levitt at this scene. Because it nothing ever happens to him and his relationship with Lewis. I mean, I guess it does. I guess that's, like, the predisposed uh like that's the setup for his outburst at the restaurant when lewis hit on the waitress right i think that happened yeah, afterwards. Which, yeah that scene hasn't happened i said it already happened but it hasn't and what's what's funny about that scene when he like he hits on the waitress and he gets mad at him and he's like i'm moving out and he's like you're moving out when i don't know when but soon <laughs> it's like a child you know what i mean he like plays that character very well and then the that one of the worst, and I don't want to shit on someone who just has a very small part in a movie. Are you talking about the waitress? Of, one of the worst line deliveries is like, oh, you two are trouble. <laughs> you know, I really Jeez, blame the director. Maybe, ta- maybe, part, do an- maybe, maybe do another take on that. Maybe just like maybe a couple more takes where she gets it right. Uh, you can't be too hard on her, man. I mean, Jesus, but honestly, yeah. uh, one of the one of the scenes after that I think is is worse, and um, it's from Isla Fisher. I don't really necessarily blame her on that either. Um, so we talked about the taking pictures of the vault. You're the lookout. The sex. Um, we all we talked about way earlier when he like yells at the deputies, like quit making me feel like you know that I need to be checked up on and that you're feeling sorry for me and take your donut back. Um, and then Lovely sees the gun and she leaves town. And this is like her acting in the back of that cab is super melodramatic and just like could have been a little more subtle to me. It must have been really bad because honestly, I don't even remember a back of the cab scene. Yeah, well, there wasn't an all black uh, chessboard in the back of the cab, so you probably weren't paying attention to it. Was the cab parallel parking? If not, I I don't give a fuck. He was idling in the middle of the street as she told him, "Wait, stop!" And he's just like, "What the fuck, lady? <laughs> Let's keep it moving." Um, mm. and then it's the night of the robbery, and 
I think this part's really interesting because he is like ready to do this. And then the manager's like, you know what? You have been working hard. And I just realized how far you've come. And he hands him this card, which becomes an important plot point. And he's like, so you can start to be a teller. And he's like, shit, I don't want to do this anymore. And he calls Lewis and Lewis is just like, I don't know, you know, kind of blows him off because he's sort of still mad and doesn't really understand what he's talking about. And then this is when Matthew Good like turns on him because he's like, I don't want to do it. You guys can do it. I'm just going to leave. And then he just like punches the shit out of him. He's like, get the fuck in there. Mm. And he was already going to kill him. But now it's like for sure he was going to kill him. You know, later on in the movie, he's like, yeah, you know, for a few days there, we thought maybe we could just let you go. But it's like, no, you were always going to kill him. But that makes, I mean, I guess because he, no matter how dedicated or seemingly dedicated he is to the robbery, he's your loose end, right? He's your loosest end. Because of his brain injury, he would he would even accidentally say something to someone. Yeah, for sure. He knows what you guys look like. And like, you don't seem like the smartest outfit. So, you know, I think, I think it would give you up. So the deputy comes by, he apologizes, which ends up leading to the deputy coming back later on, which I think that leads to the deputy dying instead of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? If the deputy never comes back, then Joseph Gordon-Levitt dies and the movie ends and they get away. But the deputy comes back and he ends up being the one that dies. They also right. make they make Chris get the money. He gets all the money out, and then there's this second where he like he like doesn't come out, and Bone's waiting for him out there. And you like Bone was going to shoot him like right then and there. Um, but this is like the thing I want to talk about the most. Deputy shows up, and he has been shit on this whole time. All the robbers call him Deputy Dog, and or Deputy Donut, and fucking Deputy, Deputy Donut, Donut yeah. killed three of these dudes. Two well, of them right away two, and two Gary. And yeah. And like, I think he hit Bone too, or did he not? Maybe he didn't. No, Maybe Bone, bone ducked. Bone got but away. He fucking went off and then just also, but just like, didn't realize that. How did you, how did you misplace that you didn't hit Bone? He looks like fucking Bone, man. Like, <laughs> um, what did he, what did, uh, what did he say that Lewis looked like? Larry Flint, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was asked, he, he knows he didn't hit bone because he was asked, asking Gary, like, where's shotgun? Where's shotgun? Yeah. And then Joseph Gordon Levitt was like, he's behind you, but it was too late. But I don't know. Do you, the guy who is dying, do you really hold him at gunpoint and ask where the other guy is? Or do you just keep, your defenses up and look for the other guy. I don't know. I think, I think he you went about s- that wrong. Yeah. I mean, well, for, for how badass he came off for most of it to then stand in the middle and only look in one direction is like, you know, get to a wall or get out of there. Like you shoot, you shoot the immediate threat and you know that there's like more, like you don't know how many more could be there. You just, you turn, you get back in your car and you call for backup. But he went, he went in even farther. You yeah, know what though? Dumb. I thought about the backup part of it. There isn't backup. This is like a one horse town. He like, he's the only one on patrol in this town. So it's like backup was way too far away. Um, I guess, but- I guess unless he was like out there, unless he was like knowingly trying to save 
Chris, right? Like he know, I don't know, but yeah, no, because he told Chris he he was like Chris. He didn't even know Chris was in. He was like, get the fuck down. So I don't. Maybe he was like, maybe he was looking for Chris. I don't. I don't know. Um, but Chris uses this opportunity to. This is also like really well written. He goes out to his car, but once again, he's locked his keys in and he can't get to his shoe quick enough. So he goes to the other car, and this is the car that has the money in it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's got a brain injury, but it feels like you could probably get your key out to your shoe rather than take the chance that the keys are in the other car. But I don't know, whatever. He leaves and he has the money and they all realize he has the money. And then Chris gets pulled over, which is so unnecessary. And at first, when the cop pulls him over and then lets him go, I was like, oh, he just must know who Chris Pratt is. And he knows about the brain injury. But no, it's the card that the bank manager gave him that was stuck to his ID when he handed it to him. I also like that the whole movie is building up that Chris hates when people feel sorry for him. And he sees that as like, he got away with speeding, which is like a crime, but it's a small crime. Right. But he got away with it because of the card. And he was like, I am not going to be underestimated anymore. Like that was the, that was the final motivation, like push he needed to like go back and, and, fucking deal with this thing and i love the dead giveaway of when he goes back to his apartment and he sees the lights are on and he knows that they're already there because why would a blind guy have need the lights on yeah and i love too the fact that bone just starts going downstairs immediately and like chases after him just like which so is menacing bone done dumb right but whatever i mean they don't really strike me as the smartest group so they well i mean he needed to chase after him i mean he almost got him he probably should just fire the shotgun but i guess you don't want to the apartment is in kansas city so if you fire a shotgun you're probably going to make quite a bit of noise right um so then he hides out at his parents which is like i don't know they probably know where your parents live i don't know why that's safe but i guess it's like maybe a gated community and this I don't is think when he do but yeah go ahead well, they said they were casing him for weeks. They probably would have followed him to his parents. I get Either way, he goes through his notebook. He reads two very important things. Start at the end. And who has the money has the power. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once again, the list making scene where he's like, kill Bone first. <laughs> I I do have to say a, a, a funny, like, um, like I, t- I said that this movie foreshadows and, and builds up a bunch of things that pay off in the end. It, it, for it explains to us that his parents have like this very extensive gun collection and they're always adding to it. And so when he like, you know, gets the shotgun, it it's not so out of left field. Like we know his parents have a gun collection, but my favorite part is when establishing this, he's in his dad's study and he cocks the gun and Lewis goes, well, that's a comforting sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I, um, right after this, he calls Gary and I love that from this point on, it's like Gary's just dying and Matthew good plays it so well. And it's just like, you can see like from this point to this point to this point, like he's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's just played very perfectly. You know, Um, when we were on, um, we when we were on Steve's, um, these films are the juice podcast and we were talking about, good actors to kind of take over a younger Pacino role. Matthew good. 
I didn't think about it then, but Matthew Good would would be a great younger Pacino. Maybe it wouldn't be younger anymore, but you're saying to play it now. Yeah, he's yes. 44. I think so that, remake, that fits the time yeah, frame. They'll remake The Godfather with him, and then they'll remake Casablanca with Ashton Kutcher and Madonna. Um, so he calls Sounds Gary, good. and he's like, "I have the money, I have the power." And Gary's just like, "Fuck, man, why did I tell him that?" He's like, "Meet me at the Christmas tree." And this is one of the points where I like we could have saved a few minutes. When he has the dream sequence where he follows Kelly up there and she's just like, I've been waiting for this. I wanted to show you my missing leg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, the second that I was like, is this real? I was like, no way is he doing this in such an intense moment he in his life. He has 14 minutes, right? It was like 546 and he's like starts to follow her. It makes no sense. Right. And and then there's something about her like ethereal about her um line delivery and I was like, "Oh, this is this is where we get the payoff that he falls asleep fast." I mean, it's not really a payoff, but it's an explanation of of why he's having this just random sequence, right? Um also Laura what's her name? Laura Vandervoot, I think is okay i i uh i know her from smallville but she's just so freaking hot <laughs> sorry just have to put that out there yeah but you didn't have to but you did. i did i did that's where that's where we are but um, then that's when we noticed that that everyone walked away with something from that crash right right like he walked away with you the don't know injury. if the leg's real no but i mean he has to he has to like i think that's real I don't know. Maybe he's got a brain injury. So, no. um, they he wakes up to a shotgun breaking in his window, and apparently no one is out at this ice rink at six o'clock. They can just threaten people with guns in the middle of like downtown Kansas City with no repercussions. I mean, have and you ever been to downtown Kansas City? It's pretty dead. Have you? Yeah. When? Uh, back in like 2016, 20, yeah, 2016. That because Taylor's from Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> so, I disagree. Um, and having never been there, I just don't think I think somebody would have seen something from a building, maybe. Um, <laughs> so they find his notebook, and they're like, <laughs> I love that when he's like. He's like, oh, we're going to go get this money. He's like, got to kill Bone first. And he's like, well, they both look at him like, what? He's like, oh, shit, I said that out loud. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when he's packing up the gun and the money and, and everything at his parents' house, he unties his shoe and he takes his shoelace out. But it doesn't really it doesn't really explain why he's doing it until you get to the point where he tied his shoelace around the bag that has the gun in it as like a visual trigger for him later, knowing like he's most likely to f- totally forget. And then when he sees it and he does forget why he has the shoelace on, he knows that he did this like for a reason. So when he throws one of the bags of money up to bone, he keeps the one with the shoelace on and he must be thinking like, I don't know why I have this, but it must be a reason. And then it's just like, and I loved it too. He didn't like open up the zipper and like take out the gun. He shot the gun through the bag to kill Bone. 
and Jeff Daniels being blind and knowing that there's a gun in front of him. And then he hears the shotgun and he's like, am I dead? Well, no one's talking to me, be, so I must be dead. Yeah, I must be dead. Well, they also, by the way, you talk about how well this movie established everything. They established that he's a great shot, too. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to go skeet shooting with my uh, my brothers and my dad, like, all the time when he was talking with Isla Fisher. Oh, no, he I, says he kills deer. And he's and she's like, you kill poor baby deer? He, and he's like, I hated it, which is another interesting thing, too, right? It establishes that he hated it, but he's just really good at it. I don't remember the hated part, but it, it doesn't matter. The The other thing I want to talk about in this final bit is there's this part where Bone walks up to him with one of the bag, walks up to Gary with one of the bags and kind of looks at him and just like, ah, oh, you're like easy pickings right now. And Gary grabs his gun and it's just like, don't think about it. But Gary dies like a minute later, just of his own accord. So this is what I understand. They know where the money is, right? The only person that they have is the blind guy. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like on the ground. And they have the money and they have the gun. Why not just kill him right then and there? Because then they have to dig up the money themselves and carry it all. You know what I mean? No, he's dug up the money. Yeah, he has to carry it himself. He's carrying it. Jesus. They okay, also, But they also, I mean... Like they underestimate a blind guy and a guy with head trauma who can't remember anything. Why would they think that he had planned to have a having gun a gun? There? Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Um, and, I, and I think that's a big plot. Like a big point in the movie is people are always underestimating Chris, so it's easy for him to get the one up on them. You know, when he's not forgetting or getting things out of place. Well, they're usually right, though. You know, he's not even good at chess anymore. So um, right after this, we get like just sort of the epilogue. And I always thought maybe he had like kept part of the money because I knew that they opened their gas station food store. Um, but I like that he gave it all up and that the his own bank manager like gave him the loan and comes to eat all the time. Um, and we also get this little moment where Kelly looks over at him. So she's known that he's here this whole time when she walks to work. But she looks yeah. over at him this one time and just like acknowledging it. Um, and then, I mean, I just didn't remember this ending so poorly, but we have this voiceover of him explaining his life, but then it just keeps going. He's like, I just keep remembering day by day and work backwards. Uh, and I just have to work backwards from there. And then he stares at the camera and I was like, oh my God, like you guys can end that a little better. It ends very like 2000 ish. Like, um, like freeze frame fade out and then the music, you know? Yeah. I mean, it had, you know, Vandervoot from Smallville. So yeah, they were uh Vandervoort. They were playing all into it. You know, what's really interesting. And I wanted to bring this up earlier. So Scott Frank, he created, wrote this and then, you know, decided to direct it when he couldn't get anyone on. Do you know what else he wrote and created and directed? Hmm. The Queen's Gambit. He directed he created it and directed every episode. Oh, wow. Look at him. Yeah. And he wrote Logan. He wrote little the, movie. the Wolverine movie? Yeah. He actually wrote wow. the Wolverine, too. Oh. Wow, that one he wrote, probably isn't the best example. He wrote Get Shorty, Out of Sight, and Minority Report. This, this dude. He this wrote Minority Report? It's according to... Dude, the is... 
talented, man. Yeah, he is. Uh, there are other writers on here, but he is, well, no, Philip K. Dick wrote the short story, and then Scott Frank and John Cohen wrote the screenplays. So, well, yeah, this was, uh, like I said, there was a couple, you kind of described it pretty perfectly. Like, it was very mid-2000s, like some of the moments in this. Um, right. But overall, this is like a nice little surprise movie if you've never heard of it or never seen it to like watch it and just be like, oh, wow, that was it's like. I don't know if Netflix made this movie today, it just would probably suck, but it it, it didn't. (laughs) And it was really good. Yeah. And you can find this movie on Pluto TV Hoopla, which is an app that you introduced me to, um, or you can buy it on Amazon. I would not suggest going the Pluto TV route, but that is just that's my own gripes with with Pluto TV. No, I really like this movie. I, it was it, like you said, it was a nice surprise. Um, I'm just like, is surprised that I've never even heard of it. It just, maybe I have. And it just was like such a low budget under the radar sort of thing that it just, you know, um, I glossed over it, but apart from me noticing tiny little details throughout the whole movie, um, no, it was a, it was a great movie, and and I I actually I hope I hope Joseph Gordon Levitt kind of makes a a bit of a comeback because I I think he has great leading man potential if he's in the right stuff for him. The a remake of the movie, the right stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched The Lookout. So, but then, you know, he goes to meet with uh, Janet, who's played by uh, Carlo Gugino. Gugino? Gugino? How do you fucking pronounce her name? Close enough, dude. Good job. No. Hold on. I'm going to say it again, because that was embarrassing. How do you say Carla Gugino? Gugino? Hold on. We're looking this up. How? So many cuts. It's fine. (sighs) Nice stomach keeps rumbling. I wonder if that can be picked up. So next, he goes to meet his uh, his like social worker Janet, played by Carl Gugino. Motherfucker, <laughs> Gugino. Okay, that's staying, that's staying, that's staying in the cut. That's staying. It in the absolutely cut. is not. Um, so next, he goes to meet his social worker Janet, played by Carl Carlo Gugino. <laughs> you messed up, Carla. You said Carl. Okay, now now it's going in the cut. Now it's this absolutely is, not. <laughs> We're not doing rip you, tracks a lot. You messed up one more time. It's going in the cut. It's going in as a cold open. 
So next, you can make it the cold open. 